This is Top Floor, episode 30. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 30. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Top Floor. I'm Susan Berry, your host and elevator operator. And I recently had the great pleasure of recording stories at the 33rd Hunter Hotel Investment Conference. In my career as a hospitality commercial strategy consultant, I've worked with hundreds of hotels and hotel companies. One of my favorite things to do over the years has been to ask the hoteliers that I've worked with to tell me the craziest things that ever happened to them. If you've worked in or with a hotel, you know that almost everyone has encountered dead bodies, naked people, and all manner of human behavior that people just don't try to get away with until they check in. These stories are the ones that get shared in the cafeteria, during staff meetings, and most especially at the loading dock. In this episode, I have the pleasure and sometimes pain of bringing you the craziest, funniest, and just plain weirdest tales from seven extraordinary hotel storytellers. If you like this collection, stay tuned for part two in episode 31. Before we officially head down to the loading dock, I got to spend some time with Esther Yee, Conference Director at Hunter Hotel Advisors. Esther is one of the people that make the magic happen at Hunter, and she is an absolute delight. Oh my gosh, I bet that you are just beside yourself with exhaustion, or are you still running on adrenaline right now? I think the fact that I can stand here and take a few minutes to just look at your gorgeous face and chat says a lot. Um, we have an incredible team here at Hunter. So as much as um, I'd like to say, oh yeah, like we're so busy, we're busy, but we're calm, we're cool, and we prepared a long time for this. Um, so yeah, it's amazing to be back and with no mask. So Susan, I actually know what you really look like now. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that it feels uh, smooth. I know from my many, many moons in the hotel business that it doesn't always feel that way. So I think that you guys have really achieved something rare and great in doing that. So have you had any long lost friends that you've seen so far today? <gasps> I can't believe you just asked me that question because actually one of my old bosses from two or three jobs ago, um, his name is Chris Reinhardt and he's with the Fifth Group Restaurant Group. Um, and I was a business manager doing a lot of financials, you know, working out of Excel sheets. Ugh, sorry, that ugh was so genuine. <laughs> Uh, you know, a few years ago, and he stopped by because I, and this is what I love about the industry. Our paths just naturally cross. His company, Bold Design, is behind a lot of the design and decor elements for the conference. I see the immense value of sharing and of communicating and bringing people together. So that's the theme this year is come together and the industry comes together at Hunter. I firmly believe.
believe that. And I think, I mean, this turnout is a testament to that. Going down. Next up, I chatted with Mike Ely. Mike is the founder of NASA Investments and got a start in multifamily real estate investing. Mike talks about why he started investing in hotels and some of the fun he's had in them. I went to school of hard knocks. We lost 400 grand. Oh my goodness. And it was an opportunity to do an $80 million project. And, but I was like, you know what? I really like this hotel thing. I really think it's going to change. And I really think this is a great way to segue out of the, cause I had a lot of, uh, let's say low income. I was in DNF neighborhoods mm-hmm. cause it was cash flowing like crazy. But I was like, I can't leave that to the kids. I was like, these hotels, they're class A, they're sexy, and you can hire sophisticated managers. And four years later, I bought my first hotel. And then another one. And then the market was great. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I actually thought it was the end of the world. But really, we did extremely well. It was great because I got my learning curve. I really understood what it really takes to manage what the real costs are, and we still profited during COVID. Oh, wow. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, we had extended stay models. So, so did you ever work in a hotel before you started buying them? I did not work in a hotel, but I had a lot of fun in hotels. Oh, do tell. I bet you've got a good story for me. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you this one story, and this is, I've never told anybody because if he knew, he would be so upset. <laughs> so Jerome Bettis is one of our good friends. Okay. All right. Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame NFL. People don't know. You say Jerome Bettis. They know who got it is. Got it. Got it. He would run this camp and had this big party. And so uh, we had this party and we partying and drinking and everything. And the next thing you know, it's night and we're walking around. One of my, my best friend's girlfriend at the time pulls the fire alarm. <gasps> at a hotel? empties the whole entire hotel like one in the morning oh no Tuesday Jerome never knows who you are you serious and did he like did he get blowback for that did he get in trouble for it I don't know because we never mentioned (laughs) you just pretended like it it never happened but see the thing is they swore up and down was me and my buddy Kenny so we took the hit Uh uh-huh and she got away with it I loved meeting Barbara Purvis, president of Essex Hotel Management. Essex is a management and develop company based in Rochester, New York. They focus on select service brands and locations from New York to Florida. She had a ton of great stories to share, starting with her funny and brilliant idea for how to get the most out of attending a conference. I've lived in Rochester longer than I've lived anywhere, but my heart and soul are still in the West. Okay, so I have to ask you this. Are you a garbage plate fan? I am not a garbage plate fan because I don't eat meat. I see. But but so you know what I'm talking about. That hot mess that sounds like the most disgusting thing in the world, but is actually quite... Magnifique. Is it? Have you had one? I have. We have a neighbor that's from Rochester. And so he made it for us one time. I mean, the one we had was like macaroni salad, french fries, and hamburger patties, and some other crazy stuff on top. Yeah, yeah. It's the secret sauce. Oh, okay. But again, and I think it only tastes 
the very best when it's like 1.30 in the morning. Yes, I think you're absolutely yeah, right about that. it's there that. for soaking up a little extra <laughs> Maybe we should open a garbage plate stand here at the Hunter oh, Conference. you know what? I think that would work very well. In fact, I used to, you know, I, I hit the wall about 9 p.m. Same. Bed. And, and people, and I'd say, you know, I'm missing all that social interaction here. I said, I can't stay up. He said, go to bed, get up at 1 o'clock. Get dressed, go downstairs. Oh, wow. Everybody else can be like bombed, and you can have conversations, get the deal done, <laughs> sober. And I'm thinking, if I could get up, get dressed, get ready, come downstairs, I would. That is such a hilarious idea. I actually think that's an idea for a show to do too, like midnight at the conference. Barbara and I share the need for plenty of sleep for sure. Next, Barbara described how she's earned some million-dollar PhDs in hotel construction. One of the things that seemed to be a common thread was some of our bloopers uh, when we were building hotels and opening hotels. And, you know, we call them, when they're really big bloopers, they're million-dollar PhDs. And and we (laughs) we talked to owners. They said, you should... You know, building or operating a hotel isn't rocket science, but there are some tricks of the trade, and you might as well learn from our experience, right? And, and our million-dollar PhDs, and so we call you know it's humbling. So, the first hotel we ever built, nobody paid attention to the fact that the laundry chute was at the other end of the hall or the corridor from where the laundry room was. Nobody even, nobody even picked it up until the, oh, the hotel was wow. almost open. So that was a daily reminder as we saw housekeeping, having to load the big <laughs> barrel of laundry and bring it down the hall to the laundry room. So every time we built a hotel after that, when we were looking at the drawings, Make sure that laundry chute is there. <laughs> so now you're a laundry chute uh, oh, we are. PhD yeah, for sure. So no matter, we had franchise people looking at it, architects, nobody caught it. Unbelievable. So we had, we opened another hotel, and beautiful hotel, and within days, we were seeing all of these leaks coming out of the bathroom, and no one could figure out what it was. Well, we figured out that the um, that the drain in the tub had never been connected. You know, the overflow had never been connected to the drain pipe. So with every bathroom. So uh, we fixed it. But now whenever we open a hotel, the first thing we do before it's open is we fill every tub. That's amazing. And what is also amazing is this is not the first time I've heard of that happening in a hotel. This thing of the tub drains, like apparently a tub drain is quite the complex animal in order to get open. That reminds me of hearing those stories about on cruise ships where they will have someone stand and flush every toilet at the exact same time. That's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah. and that's for water pressure, I think, isn't it? Or is that to clear out the pipes? I don't know. I I don't know. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't write too much. Um, Let's see. Another one was um, we had started to load the case goods. Um, So the hotel's finished, getting all the case goods in for opening at the end of the week. And uh, as we're putting the case goods into the guest room, they don't fit. And people are like, what do you mean they don't fit? And we're about a foot short. 
and it like through, to get it through the door. No, to get it into the get into the room, but to have them line up. You know, like along oh, the bed, right? Got you got it. the nightstand, the bed headboard, the night, the lamp, the chair, whatever it was, and it wasn't fitting. And we're like, what in the world? And so, of course, finger pointing everywhere. Architect, contractor, all of it. Is the did the building get built too short? No, the footprint's okay. Is the corridor to what? No, nope, corridor's fine. Well, apparently, the during the framing of the bathroom, some of the um, pipes and, and that, the decor drillings, were, were off a little bit. So the framer just decided to, all right, we'll move the framing out a little bit. <gasps> and so all that happened. Nobody paid any attention to the width of the bathroom the growing width of the so bathroom. So they ate the into the guest room. Ate into the bathroom. Oh, my goodness. So there we were again. And at the time, these things are not funny. It's only <laughs> only 20 years later <laughs> that we yeah. were. Right, yeah. yeah. And so we had to immediately order custom <sighs> nightstands that would now fit into those rooms. So, oh, my but goodness. But now, it's, you know, it's for us, you know, it, it, everything is a learning experience. And we are much <laughs> more involved. And a lot of measurement, measure once, measure twice, measure three times. Mm-hmm. And like everybody, you know, you, you set up your FF&E into the room while you're still in the framing. You don't, you know, you just line it up. And, and so you know it's going to fit because it's, those things happen and people aren't paying attention. Oh my gosh. So I have a question for you. When a mistake that big happens, is there any recourse? Like, can you call the framing company and be like, hey, you're going to have to help us pay for this? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, but again, it becomes a, everyone will point a finger. Uh-huh. And you, everyone, you signed off on you it. You punched this room. Right. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. you certainly always try to get some kind of compensation. And depending on the leverage and if it's very clear in black and white, most things have multiple hands in the mix. So, yeah. So this last one is uh, more of a funny thing. So the uh, we're getting ready for, for opening for a hotel, and the brand is ready to come in to do their inspection the next day. So that's always a scramble in opening the hotel. And so they're in the rooms, the handicap rooms, and they're testing the, um, the um, automatic uh, window blinds opener, you know, for handicap rooms. Got it. Push button, all that. So mm-hmm. they're pushing the remote control, and nothing's working. They keep pushing... Okay, change the batteries, still not working. Leave that one, go into the other handicap room. That one's not working. Go into the next one, that's not working. They go back to the first one and the blinds are open. Like Then they hit the, hit the button again, still not working, and they're kind of scratching their heads. They go into the next room and that one now is open. They go back into the other one, now the other one is closed, and they're thinking... <laughs> Okay, is there there's someone a ghost following there's a ghost you? in the hotel? <laughs> is there someone that's just trying to be funny and they're going Well, it turned out that the remotes were had been mixed up. Oh, so they, they were in the wrong right. room. Oh, that's so, that's a less expensive problem than absolutely. the case goods. Good oh, lord. Yeah. Right. You just switch them off. But again, <laughs> you know, when you're doing so many things and you got your list is long and it was like one thing and it's just like what in the world? <laughs> and so, how long did you yeah. have to spend yeah. chasing your tail around right. these rooms From room to, to room figure to room it out. and to try to figure out? Well, how, now it's open, now it's closed, but it wasn't working. And that yeah. is so funny. So those are just a, just a few stories from the field. Those are wonderful stories, Barbara. Thank you so much. Thanks, Susan. 
Tiffany Cooper and I worked together when we were small children, but hadn't seen each other in 20 years until Hunter. Tiffany is the Senior Vice President of Development for Kempton, but this is her second time working for the company. Tiffany describes here how she got her first job for Kempton out of college. This is my second tour of duty at Kempton. I started my career at Kempton in January of 1995. Okay. And I was a journalism and public relations major, and Mm -hmm. I graduated college, and someone mentioned Kempton to me. Um, I had no idea what it was. And it sounded like it was a PR firm, so it might as well have been a PR firm. Oh, stop. Are you serious? And in 1995, there was no Google. You couldn't Google it. Um, So I faxed them. How charming. I faxed (laughs) them my resume, which had absolutely nothing on it other than a couple of internships I had done in college. Uh And I uh, I show up at the corporate headquarters for my interview. And I sit down and I'm looking around and I see all these pictures of hotels and restaurants. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what they, maybe they're a PR firm for hotels and restaurants, thinking they're still a PR firm. So I started talking to the woman next to me and saying, what is this place? <laughs> Where am I? Like how, this is like everything, this is like everything you're not supposed to do when you go into a job interview. <laughs> I'm like, where am I? No work whatsoever. And she's like, this is Kimpton. We're a hotel and restaurant company. And I said, huh, hotel and restaurant company. She said, yeah. I said, interesting. And now restaurants, I was thinking like, I don't know, I was a bartender at TGI Fridays in college. So I had no clue. And so I'm going back and forth with this woman. And then the head of HR walks out and she said, oh, Nicole, I see that you've met Tiffany. This was my boss who was interviewing me for my first job. Oh my God. And so, she, so she, comes, she takes me back. Now she knows I have no idea where I am. Mm-hmm. And I also told her how much I hated sales. Like, I don't want to do sales. I hate sales. There's no way in hell you are getting me to sell anything. I'm not into sales. She's like, well, it's not exactly exactly sales, like a product. Um, so I started uh, as the sales coordinator at the Juliana Hotel in January of 95, making $9 an hour. Wow. And six months... I mean, and $95, that wasn't too bad. That's about, I think, maybe 18000 a year. And um, and I was, I was hooked. Nicole left six months later, my boss, and they, I guess, decided... She might as well be the director of sales (laughs) with six months experience. In addition to having worked for the same company back in the day, Tiffany and I were both directors of sales and marketing and both booked a type of business at different hotels that will go down in infamy. I'm going to let her tell you about it. You know, W was a, you know, a, a innovative brand pushing the envelope and you could do things at, at, at that brand that maybe you couldn't do it, maybe some other brands. So um, it was Labor Day weekend. And at this particular hotel, that was always a really quiet time um, for the property. So we had a pretty big hole to fill and I was presented with a group opportunity. Um, it was, you know... <laughs> A, I, what I thought, I thought it was um, a sexy group, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of a fun, sexy group. But instead of being a sexy group, it was actually a sex group. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have to ask you, did they 
try to trick you and check space under a different name first? Um, I don't remember. I mean, this is, gosh, 20 years ago. I don't <laughs> remember them doing that. But their name wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, we're swingers and we want to buy out your hotel. It wasn't <laughs> ah. that obvious. Although we thought they were, they, we thought it was going to be, you know, there's going to be some, you know, I guess, fun things happening. Um <laughs> And in retrospect, it's like, I don't know, maybe that's what the S in Smurf stands for. Uh, it, it absolutely is a, it should is be. a Smurf group <laughs> of sorts, right? Um, so it was fine, right? Like, it was fine. With, uh, the You know, and we're managers on duty, right? I mean, that was the, remember those years when mm -hmm. you'd book a big group and it was a big weekend and you had to come and stay the whole time, make sure it went well? Um, so it started out great. And people were pulling up and... Lamborghinis and Porsches and a lot of Silicon Valley money. Oh wow! Was was showing up and um, and it's and they had everyone was dressed lovely. They had a beautiful dinner. We had it set, you know, in all the different various rooms. And I'd say it was probably maybe ten or ten thirty. People started kind of meandering up from dinner and down and up to their their rooms. And gradually, one by one, people started kind of making their way back down into the public spaces and you know all of the clothing they had had on originally for the beautiful has, dinner for the beautiful dinner the gowns and and everything had been replaced by Fredericks of Hollywood <laughs> and I'd say things just started progressing in that direction but by one o'clock in the morning it was a scene. <laughs> and my general manager, my poor general manager, I think I aged him probably about 10 years. Oh, my he was the He's, to this day, one of my favorite people in this industry. And I will always remember his face. We walked into the meeting room where, you know, people like groups like Sun Microsystems and, and you know, Apple and Google and other companies would meet. <laughs> and, and instead, we would see people all over, mounds of people all over the floor. Oh, my God. <laughs> so my poor general manager, and, you know, I'm the one who booked this, right? We killed it that weekend. I mean, I don't think that hotel has to this day outperformed unless they, you know, picked up this group as they re reoccurring, <laughs> which I'm not quite sure. So it was by far the most uh, uh, profitable weekend but um everything would have been great actually like because you know there it was a very affectionate group right like <laughs> they were happy. they were there to love and enjoy themselves and you know whatever um they spent a lot of money and they they a ton on on uh, at the bar so that was great everything would have been great with the exception that our revenue manager did not close out the entire hotel. Oh, stop. Inventory. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. there was about three rooms that were not closed out that got booked that were not part of this party. As I mentioned earlier, when you get a group of hoteliers together, almost all of them have some experience with dead bodies. Azari Jones from She Has a Deal got a little more up close and personal than most. 
we had a conference going on and he was our bellman. So he also was a shuttle driver. So he had went to the airport and came back and he was very tired. He was just like, oh, I'm sweating. I'm very hot. Like, okay, Bill, go in the office and sit down and just take a breather. So I'm in the office and my computer screen, when I sit down, I have dual screens. I couldn't see his face, but I heard him breathing and heard him like, oh my gosh, it's really hot. He was sweating. Like on the other side of your yeah, screen. On the other side of the screen. Uh-huh. I heard it, but couldn't see him. Gotcha. So I think this went on for like five, six, eight minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And finally, I was just like, Bill, do you need me to call? I finally peeked up. And it was like, Bill, do you need me to call someone? And he was starting to turn white. Like, he was starting <gasps> to turn white. He was start really white. He was, like, cold, like, sweaty. He's like, I'm hot, but I'm cold. So, finally, uh, the other front desk manager came to the back and was like, yeah, let's call somebody. And so, we called 911. They come. It was... After evening shifts, like six o'clock, seven o'clock, they come in, they come in and was like, you know, everybody to get out. You know, we need to, you know, give him CPR, give him some oxygen, let him breathe. You know, he's not moving. He just started to slow down his speech and everything oh, like that. No. So we get out and we move. Obviously, we're in the front like, OK, is Bill going to be OK? So at some point he passes away. Because when they roll him out, they had the oxygen mask on his face. But I remember his hand dropping down because they had to roll him out the front because that was the off only the way. stretcher. Yeah, his hand fell oh. off the stretcher, and I'm like, okay, he's he's <gasps> dead. Yeah, he's dead. But I think they didn't. I mean, they didn't want to, you know, make anybody overwhelmed. So mm-hmm. Put the oxygen mask on to make it seem like he was you know, still alive. Oh my um, goodness yes. gracious. So that was, so he roll, rolls out. So he was super amazing bellman, super great, very friendly. He liked to do artwork. He would bring his artwork to work to show us. Um, super lively gentleman. And this is just his second career just to make some extra cash. Um, so it was just really sad that when he passed away. So really shocking. Um, but I'll never forget him just turning white and just like going down. So we're glad he made it back to the hotel safe because he was driving like literally five minutes before. He oh was my driving. goodness. Yes. Yeah. Well, so. here is to Bill the Bellman. Yes. May he rest in peace. Yes. Larry Speltz is president of Lodging and Lifestyle Adventures at Indigo Road Hospitality and used to be the hotel manager at the Carlisle, which is one of the most iconic hotels in New York City. He is also just an absolute pleasure to listen to. I know that you have been in the business long enough to have collected some wonderful stories. Do you have anything that you would only tell me on the loading dock? Uh, yes, because I could get into trouble if I oh, were good. to share them just anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. Okay, yeah. So without a doubt, the highlight of my career in on-property operations was my time as a hotel manager at the Carlisle Hotel in New York City. Wow. And my two favorite reminiscences that I've shared often with friends and family uh, from my time at the Carlisle are both related to things to do with uh, British guests. It seems like whenever it's uh, British and American cultures coming together, it's always ripe for uh, interesting situations and humor. My first one, and for whatever reason, the Carlisle has sort of always been the darling of um, British visitors to New York City. That's where Bemelman's is, yes? yes? Okay. That's right. That's right. I have to get the mental image correct yeah. in my brain. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. And um, I think it's because for a very long time, I believe in the 80s and 90s, the general manager was a very charismatic Englishman mm-hmm. who established these tremendous connections with um, British travelers coming to New York City. And so 
so the Carlisle just became the home for the British who's who. And uh, while I was there, we had the pleasure of hosting Prince Charles and uh, Camilla. Wow. And I um, can't remember if she was already made Duchess yet or not, but so I was tasked with uh, receiving all of the protocol documents from London for His Majesty's visit. And I got, uh, this is back in the days of fax machines, and I got, you know, it was the fax machines that printed on the continuous roll that of paper. thermal paper. That's right, the thermal paper. And <gasps> I, I got this document that was faxed to me from uh, the UK that I think was like eight feet long. Oh my goodness. Of all the, of do's and don'ts and all the things that would happen leading up to the stay. And so it was, it was all these bizarre things like his majesty loathes the smell of chocolate. He must not ever smell chocolate. There can't be chocolate anywhere. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah. I was like, my goodness, that's, that's (laughs) tragic. And then, and so uh, one of the interesting things was that a box truck was going to arrive from the airport where it will have met a cargo plane from the UK where it will pick up all of the things that His Majesty and Camilla need in their suite. And so sure enough, uh, about two days before their arrival, um, a box truck, cargo truck shows up and unloads all of this stuff, including a mattress for Camilla. No, indeed. And, and, and the, the instructions and the facts were that the mattress was not to be put on the bed in place of our mattress, but on top of our mattress. Like the princess and the pea. Exactly was, <laughs> exactly was my thought. I was like, and so by the time we put her mattress, which was a very thick mattress on top of our bed, that was already there, the top of her bed was almost four feet off the finished floor. And of course, the cargo truck had a set of wooden steps to be placed by the bed so that Camilla could get in and out of bed. You are joking. I'm totally serious. Oh, this is yeah. so interesting. Yeah. I want to just do a whole show about this yeah. and write a oh, book Oh, it you. just goes on and on and on. And, and, <laughs> and the valet shows up um, in advance of... Uh, uh, the prince's arrival and organizes everything for his like his toilet, like lays out all of his cufflinks, his collar stays, organizes everything. It looks like the most anally retentive person in the world had organized it. And then really very, very interesting and, and um, sort of poignant and sort of, you know, references the history of the English crown. There's a very ancient, hundreds of years old uh, kneeling altar that was placed at bedside with a very, very old Bible on it where the prince could read the, the, read the Bible and, and say prayers, um, which makes sense because, you know, to be the king of England and the, 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 the monarchy of England is the head of the Church of England, mm-hmm. um, technically. So uh, that made a lot of sense. But it was, um, it was really fascinating to, to get that inside look. The, the other thing that I, is, is, I think, very charming about the special relationship between the Carlisle and the British is that we, uh, during UN General Assembly, the uh, British Prime Minister stays at the Carlisle. Wow. And, um, and I was there when Tony Blair was, was still the, the prime minister. And uh, this was, I think, in 2000, it was four or five. And so it was not long after 9-11. And security was still very, very heightened and very tense. And the prime minister was staying there. And um, 
the security detail for Prime Minister Blair had requested from the city of New York permission to put a security detail on the corner of um, 76th and Madison. And so they, they got permission and they erected a tent on the corner of the sidewalk there at the intersection for his security detail. And I was always there very early in the mornings around 7, 7.30. I would walk around the building and, and oftentimes the managing director who oversaw the Carlisle for Rosewood, who lived in the hotel, would I, I would catch him as he was leaving to walk his five-year-old son to school. Mm-hmm. And we would just kind of walk together a little bit. And that morning, sure enough, they came out and... And I was out there and we, we started to walk together and we came upon the tent and, and the, the five-year-old son um, looks at his father confused and said, what's this tent here for? And he goes, well, it's, uh, it's the, the prime minister of uh, the United Kingdom is, is with us. And he goes, well, well, why isn't he staying in the hotel? <laughs> Sleeping in that tent, that's on precious. The yes, yes. Oh, the I Prime love Minister it. of the UK sleeping on the sidewalk Listen. in New York. <laughs> <laughs> that special relationship is over. Goodbye. <laughs> but uh, those are two those are two of my more interesting stories from my time at the Carlisle. Oh wow. Wonderful stories. Thank you so much for sharing my them. My pleasure. This has been fun. John Lancaster is Vice President of Emerging Markets Franchise Development for Choice Hotels. John and I have known each other for a couple of years, but we just discovered that we were both directors of sales and marketing at the same hotel a few years apart. John's story is crazy and hilarious, but it comes with a trigger warning because this story just might trigger your gag reflex. I'm serious. If you're listening to this on your lunch break, stop. Come back later. In your career, I have no doubt that you've had many crazy stories take place, and I hope that you will grace us with one or two. What do you got? Happy to. So uh, working at, uh, I I won't name the hotel, but we'll go over what happened. So it was extended stay property, and uh, we had this guest. Uh, The guest would stay in the room, and so it was extended state property. So we normally go in there like once a week and, and try to clean. So normally we knock on the door every other day, see if they want cleaning. And they would always cancel cleaning, no cleaning. These clients were staying there for probably about a month. Okay. So at the seventh day, we're like, all right, we need to get into the room. We need to knock the door. We need to go come clean. It's seven days. So there was always somebody there. And we tried to knock on the door and go in and, and open. It was always, some, no, we don't want any service. No there. So this went on for probably 17 days. And at some point we were like, we have to go in. So that day we started getting calls and complaints. They're calling, they're like, John, there's this weird, weird smell that's coming from, no. it's coming from the, the rum and you know, there. So these were separate buildings. So we walk into the building, all of a sudden we smell it. Like, where's that smell? We're on the first level, smelled it, go to second level, smelled it. We're like, what is going on? So finally we had the opportunity to get in and we had to call the authorities, unfortunately, to get in the room because mm-hmm. they would not open the door. And we walked in the room and the toilet was stopped up. So they had to end up using the bathtub no, 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 no,
it was full. Oh God. Oh my God. How many people were in the guest room? Like how many guests were checked in? Three. Shut when up. When I say it was full, oh. it was full. Oh, John. Oh my God. Did you have to go in there? We had to go in there and then we had to call Hazmat. I'm sure you did. How long did that room stay out of service? Uh, two weeks. Holy guacamole. That story takes the cake. <laughs> O-M-G. Oh, my God. I'm having a panic attack. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now get out of here. <laughs> my pleasure, Susan. Thanks a lot. It was so much fun to talk to all of these amazing hoteliers And if you think some of these recollections were shocking, you should hear the ones I wasn't allowed to record. Come back next week to hear the rest of our Hunter Conference Loading Dock Stories in Episode 31. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 30. Top Floor is produced by Don Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 